Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed and Bead, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my, my my main man, Brock Landis. Brock is in the middle of some apartment hunting. Brock, give us an update. How is the apartment search going? All right. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the apartment search, uh, search concluded today. I think we settled down and found the apartment we're going to move into. Um, it's, it's got a lot of space. It's going to fit everybody. We've got a big spacious backyard and I'm excited about it. Um, it's just the second time I've hunted in my collegiate career for an apartment, uh, but it'll be the first time I actually live in an apartment. So I'm, I'm excited to see whatever that offers. Well, you know, be, be smart, be safe and, uh, enjoy it. These are your golden years. You're, you're, you're when you turn 21 next, next year or. Yeah, in December, so not too okay. far away. Only a couple of months. Okay, okay. So, so, so these are the good, this is the good times. Uh, and enjoy the next two years because after that, it's you're like me, <laughs> fat and old. What can I say? Is, is that right? Uh, you know, you we're we're, that- we're working out. We're working out. We're we're getting back into shape slowly. It's a process, but the uh, you know the the the, the, the beer gut is fading. I'll put it at that. Okay, so here's what I was curious about. I, I, I've been interacting more with some of my friends' parents and my own parents with the apartment search, and I'm starting to question, like, is there a certain point, a certain age when you just become a dad? I mean, of course, you have a kid, or you become a grown adult, or, or is that like you're, 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 you're with that? So, you know, when people your say, like, your, your yeah, or, or even that slippery slope when people say these are your washed years. Is your washed years your entire life and now it's just amplified? Or uh, <laughs> These things I think about. This is, this is why I lose sleep because I, I think about these things. You wonder if, you, you're, you wonder if you're already washed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, um, I, I think about that often. What if, what if you have been washed for your whole life? That's uh, pretty deep. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would say, I would say that the dad persona is certainly something that you, um, you, you, you acquire and it's, it's, some people think it's like, you know, okay. you're like the, uh, you know, like you're just like, like the old soul. Like I'm sort of that guy, but at the same time, I think of it as like, you're the responsible one. You're the one who's, you know, always looking out for everybody you're the wise one. Um, that's sort of like the way I see it. Um, you know, obviously, probably isn't great if you know you're, if you if you're pursuing a female and she thinks of you as a dad. That wouldn't be the best thing for your endeavors. No, um, no. But but to be regarded as the dad amongst your friend group, I think is a sign of respect. That's just me, though. Okay, I, and I can <laughs> respect that. I can respect that. Um, anyway, we do know if, like, uh, yeah, go on, go on with it. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 what were you, what were you saying? <laughs> so I, I think really what I was trying to get down to the bottom to is like, you, you, you know what a dad joke is like you, you yeah. are probably have a whole arsenal of dad jokes. Your dad has dad jokes. 
they're not funny to me, in in my opinion. I understand why people think they are, but I don't laugh at dad jokes specifically. So my real question is like, is there a, a flip that switches after these alleged like best years of your life, like twenty one through twenty three? Is there like a switch that flips when these things become funny and you start saying these jokes, or is that something you're always with? I didn't necessarily mean washed. Um, I think that's a different story, but that was the main premise of my question. It just got really heavily miscommunicated, and as a result, the first four minutes of the Sixers podcast have been nothing about the Sixers. Well, that's why we're here. We're here to uh, to to, uh, to answer all the questions that are eating eating everybody alive. Um, I would say that yeah. over time. Over, over time, very slowly, you begin to, you know, I think, get a little, like, more calm. You find things that are kind of stupid to be funny. Like, I used to not think South Park was funny. I used to think it was just funny because I knew, like the, like, like, the people that I looked up to thought it was funny, like my cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and now like, I'm watching it, and I'm like... That's insane. That's hilarious. Like I, 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 I don't know why, but there, there are certain just things that I appreciated about South Park now that I didn't appreciate previously. Um, but you know, you, you, you'll realize you'll, you'll hit a point where you'll, where you'll realize like I just I, I'm not this like I guess crazy kid anymore. And that and and that I, I don't think I ever had that crazy kid phase. I've definitely been like the, the dad. Pretty much always. Yeah, um, I think so too. But uh, but I think it's something that you, that, that you'll realize down the road. It's but if you're question, if if you're if you're questioning it now, chances are you probably haven't quite gotten it yet. You, you'll you'll know when you get it. Okay. So now I'm a couple <laughs> of years off. Yes, you're a couple of years off. A couple off. more years of, of true true prime prime the the true proof form of myself. I've got a couple more years. It's encouraging. You have a couple of good years left. That's correct. Uh, that's how I would say it. Um, now we have a Sixers podcast to talk about. <laughs> um, so um, the, it looks like this return to play plan is a little bit, I guess, um, slippery, if you will. It's, it, I, it looked like it was one set in stone. No longer is set in stone, it looks like. A lot of it has to do with this with this the um, the demand for change. I don't I don't want to call it something that you know is implied because it's a racial issue. Like I don't want to be like you know like, like Woj saying that Kyrie's the disruptor when Chris Haynes reports it as he's leading the charge. You know, um, mm-hmm. so you know I want to call it in a, like a neutrally what it is, and what it is is it's a stand. It's 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 a it's a demand for uh, for change in our society, and it's important. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, he's taken this leadership position in it. He's, he's an interesting guy because although I don't always understand what he's saying or maybe necessarily agree with what he's saying, and don't get me wrong, this isn't one, this is not one of those situations. Like I, I, I full heartedly agree with what he's saying right now, but, um, you know, I, I think he's a really good promoter and leader of players for being unique in their own thoughts not just being robots and being individuals and more than you know the shut up and dribble uh concept that that is me- the media has i said i think bred a little bit and i think it's interesting that that and it's important that he has you know this conference call with all these different players and 80 of them and WNBA and nba players i think it's really really important um I just don't know that I believe that there cannot be any social change if there's a basketball season. Like the way that the way, the way that it's been positioned um, by you know reporters and I guess quotes from players is this seems to be this this understanding that if we let if if we can if we go and decide to play, then they're going to let it fall by the wayside. I understand that you don't want it to get watered down by you know more current events when sports return but i think it's an opportunity to um use the eye that's going to be on the basketball court with the tv and the people who are just dying for something to watch um so you know a sign that this is sort of coming to a a, 
a, a, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel with this whole virus. Um, I think this is a good opportunity to demonstrate in, on perhaps the biggest national space, uh, stage we have right now, which would be that bubble situation in Orlando. And, you know, whether it be through wearing warm-up gear that has, you know, Floyd's picture on it or, you know, wearing shirts sure, that I can't breathe or whatever. You know, there, there, there's a bunch of different ways you could do it. You know, dedicating salaries or paychecks for, for, the, for the game or, whatever, or however they do it to, you know, a, a foundation or a cause or, or whatever. There are ways to do it besides just not playing basketball. And to be honest, um, if it were up to me, if I if I had if I had a vote in how this season concludes, I would have voted from the start that I don't want the season to return. I don't. Um, I would have. You know, I think there's a very, very, very high risk of injury uh, going forward, not just with the sudden return to play, um, you know, now, but the return to play in what would be again October. The rush training camp, the the, the minimized off season after really settling down at, after one after the playoffs conclude, I think guys are open for a much more dramatic injury uh, risk, and I don't want to see that for the Sixers or any or any team, but I would be more in favor of just canceling the schedule for, for you know the, like, shutting the season down. It's over. Whatever. There's no champion. Sorry, it, it, the party's over. I would start to. I would start training camp in August. I would begin the season in September. Stretch it out. No game Sundays. And I think you would also be able to reduce load management with that as well. And I think you would benefit a full. You, you get a full value at, at, out of your season. There'd be no, you know, guys sitting out random games. Because uh, of low management, I mean, you'd have two to three days off, often, you know. And I, I, I would be much more open to that than I think a resumption of this season. Okay, that's a lot to digest, and you make a lot of really good points, which I'll elaborate on because I think I'm of a similar uh, stance as you. So what I think is there's a lot more at stake here than a 2020 NBA Finals champion, uh, and I think there's an opportunity for us as a society to act upon that. And I'm not sure the direction in which we as a society go, but what I do know at the moment is that we lack empathy and understanding of the opposition or the other viewpoint. And in a situation like this, I think a lot of people are quick to attack Kyrie Irving and they think his his comments may be empty because he's not participating in the playoffs. So why should he have a say, or he has had some outlandish beliefs according to some people, with his previous opinions. So this is just another one of those opportunities for him to kind of be an against, uh, an against the grain guy. Um, but I, I think that side of the argument has a lot of valid points. I think that with the NBA, there can be an NBA champion. But the problem with a basketball return is that if you go on Twitter, Austin, a lot of what you're going to see is trending sports topics. Television is going to start programming sports again, and it's going to be a return to normalcy in a sense. And and I think that's going to take away from what's at stake right now uh, with, with what we as a society are fighting for, and, and that's justice and, and freedom among all races and, and equality. Um, so having said that, with the coronavirus, and like Dwight Howard was saying, the opportunity to really sit down with our families and spend as much time as we are now with our families to sit and reflect and think about change or think about our culture or our our history, the country's history. Uh, There's a really good opportunity here to at least offer some constructive thoughts with one another, communicate things and, and deal with, with the social justice or or social problems that need to be dealt with right now. Um, If you add sports to that equation, I think the problem becomes it is a distraction. Sports are entertainment uh, people use their leisure time when they're not working to indulge in sports. Maybe it'd be root for a team, go to a game. People use their leisure time and and, and occupy it with, with sports and, and they watch it and everything. So I think if people start to go back to watching sports and that dominates the, the, the medium or the public sphere, then there's a lot of attention taking off of what needs to be dealt with right now. 
Uh, but I think the other side makes really compelling points too, in that the NBA can use this as an opportunity to maybe raise more awareness. Maybe uh, players can all wear shirts with, with certain terminology before games to raise awareness. Uh, the NBA can put stickers on the floor uh, wherever they may play, be playing in Orlando. They can use all of these ratings to raise money and donate the money. But overall, Austin, I agree with you that if I had to take a vote even prior um, to the to social problems that are lingering right now, uh, would I want the NBA re- season to return? I would have voted no as well. Uh, I'm not I'm not in favor of, of a regular season, and I, I believe that the eight-game baseline is just to meet that requirement for the, the, the television deals, the RSN deals. But I think it's taken me weeks to kind of muster up any excitement for the NBA uh, return, but even so, it just doesn't feel right right now. As, as a fan of the NBA, it just doesn't feel right uh, for the league to return. I think there's way, way too much at stake. So when you say at stake, you mean like the social stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure. Um, I So I think now with there sort of being a plan in place, I'm probably more for it. But now, but you know, because now they've, they, they, they've, they've suckered us back in. You know they they you know we're now we're we're intrigued by it, the idea of having basketball in August is like a once in a lifetime thing I guess you could say, um, and I think it's I think I want it back now. But if if um, you know a month ago, it, before there was any plan, I would have said no, nah, just cut it, um, let's 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 not do this. Um, but I think they also want to capitalize on the opportunity that there's no baseball around. Um, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you're not. I'm like, I don't remember. But I'm pretty sure you're not. Um, am I right about that? You're not. I used to love baseball. Um, not okay. so much anymore, but I'm aware of what's what's been going yeah. on with the MLB owners and players. Right. So I would I, I would definitely say that I um that I think in a, given like the circumstances and the context of what we know versus what we don't know, my opinion has changed. Um, but anyway, um, I thought it was good to address that, the whole Kyrie thing. I, I think overall, there's no reason to say that, you know, this is going to fall by the wayside with, 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 with the games resuming. I think it's a perfect opportunity to capitalize on more viewership and to really make a message and to stand hand in hand and say, we're not going to let this stop us. We're going to continue to stand and fight together and overcome this and we're going to advance and make change. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, I think it's easier for me to sit here and say that on the podcast, especially as, you know, someone who's a, a white male. Um, and I, I'm, I'm trying to be careful with how I word this because I don't want to imply anything that I don't mean. Um, but I, I do think that there's a way to do this where you can play um, and you know, the, 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 the message can be made and it can be effective. Now, I don't know how much of this has to do with, the, you know, their, their concerns about the virus. Um, I've, I've heard a couple things from, from people who, are, who, you know, have clients in the NBA um, who, you know, think who view it from a different perspective. And it was it's interesting what they say. Um, but I, I think a big part of it, you know, I, I don't know that I buy that they're all worried about the virus. Like, I think when they're actually in a pretty safe situation, given that they're in quarantine pretty much whenever they're not playing or they're, they're supposed to be, um, you know, they're in a bubble in Orlando and um, the, the testing is going to be rampant and the protocol for if a player tests positive is going to be pretty intense. Um, I, I, I think the worry about the virus is probably less significant than what maybe we might think it is. But I think that, I think this is more about the change that needs to be active in, in, in our society for sure. Okay, I I think the the social change is definitely a a pool a lot of players want to subscribe to. But I do think the coronavirus worry is still really prominent, and I believe they said they're testing every other day, right? Uh, I don't know if they've started yet, but I think they're going to be testing oh, every other day once they're in Orlando. Yeah, so I know that I know that guys. 
I know that guys who went like with like guys who aren't from America, like Luca, KP, mm-hmm. um, you know, they all went. I think if they went home during the uh, the, the the suspension, uh, there's this to be coming back tomorrow, I believe. Okay. So, so that, there's there's that. <laughs> for for me, basketball is the job that these players have, but at the same time, they're going to be required to stay in this bubble for a certain period of time. And I know the NBA said they're going to allow a certain amount of friends and family to come. But at a certain point, I think it may be a tough ask having all of these players bunkered down in hotels and just playing basketball. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the incentive to come back and play. And I think players on Portland who have been really vocal about it make great points as well. Uh, if a player like Carmelo Anthony or Damian Lillard or anybody that's a bottom tier team in the West competing for that eighth seed, um, they have to go and, and stay in this bubble and play eight games worth of basketball and participate in a play-in tournament, and they could just get sent home. And at that point, it's like, why did I even go and play? Uh, I didn't think I would have a chance, and I don't know why I went and played, but that's what they're being asked to do. And I think players are starting to fear that maybe the implication of going home and, and, transmit, and, and giving the virus to a family member or getting the virus or anything of that sort Um, maybe that doesn't outweigh the benefit of going back and playing. And I think players are still vocal about that, and they may be a little frightful to speak up and say anything, but I think players like Kyrie and and the Players Association is giving players voices. Uh, So it's it's definitely great that the NBA is getting a lot of different opinions right now. I think – but let me me say that I do think a return is inevitable. I think given the money and and the potential losses within the next couple of years – the NBA is going to want to go back and play. And and I think that there's definitely an NBA hierarchy. And if players at the top of this hierarchy want to play, the NBA will green light it. Uh, so I do think return is inevitable, uh, but that's not to say I am in full support of it. Yeah. I mean, LeBron said, I believe a couple of days ago, like, I don't see why we can't make the impact we need while also playing. And if LeBron says it, it's going to happen. Like Kyrie's, you know, a, Kyrie's a, a star, he has a, a massive platform. He has a big voice. He's a leader. LeBron, if LeBron says they're going to play, they're going to play. Oh, of course. Um, and that, that that's just all there is to it. Um, we spent 20 minutes on this, so let's let's sort of move over to our, our next topic. Um, do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool. It's the perfect shotgunning hone under a second. Also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is double with a K. For a ten percent discount on all products, enter the code Trust the Cobra Ten, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. We wanted to talk about the bench tonight. Uh, the bench that you know the, that the Sixers are going to have coming into this return to play um, concept, and I think we're really looking, you know, off the bench, um, a, a mixture of. Thibel, um, Scott, to some extent, Scott, um, Robinson, Burks, Neto, and I think that's probably as deep as it's going to go. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see your take about the, about, about the, the, the bench and, and, and who plays what role off the bench. I would be – very intrigued to see what Alec Burks looks like as like a backup, not point guard per se, because he just doesn't have any court vision outside of the, just looking at the basket. Um, but I, I do like the idea of him being this slashing ball handler with size and can really collapse defenses. And, you know, maybe he can make the obvious read, the obvious pass. Um but I, I do think that he is a dribbler. He's a creator. And I think for that reason, um, you need him playing a significant role off the bench. Sure. Um, I'd like Al Horford's 30 minutes to get cut in half, maybe a little more. Uh, I think playing Al Horford 12 to 15 minutes off of the bench is primarily a backup center or maybe a, a stretch five with Ben Simmons on the floor would be most beneficial for the combination of five players that best suits this lineup. So having said that, I think Al Horford is that sixth man. 
now the rotation kind of gets clustered when when you look at seven through nine uh, because there's a few interchangeable players, and I think matchup will really dictate when certain players play. Uh, but I think Furkan Korkmaz really impressed this season as uh, one, one of the highlights of this offense. I mean, from the field, a mere 44%, but from beyond the arc, he shot 40% this season nearly on, on five attempts a game. And that's an added spark the Sixers need when there's not a lot of shot creators and, and three-point shooters on this roster. Uh, so I, I think Furkan Korkmaz, if he's not plugged into the starting lineup on a certain night, uh, should definitely earn the second or third most minutes off that bench, regardless of the defensive liability. I think if you can stuff him with four or five other, not four or five, three or four other defenders on the floor when he's playing, uh, that way his his defensive impact is kind of shattered by what he can contribute offensively. And if his three-point shot's on, uh, then he can erupt for a 30-plus point game, which any team could use. Uh, if the shot's not on, then the Sixers have more flexibility. But I think because their their bench is so diverse and what they offer with, with their skill set, it's really going to be tough to predict on any given night because Austin, you know that I'm, I'm a Glenn Robinson fan for his, his work off ball, you know, in transition and cutting, just, just creating space for himself to maybe get open for a pass. I, I think he's a nice compliment to Ben Simmons in, in a team that's high in pace and getting the ball around in transition, but you could have Josh Richardson featured as, as a primary ball handler in the second unit. And, and then you really have to decide what you're playing with. But I think the, the, the three players that should be first three off the bench uh, provided shake Milton is starting would probably Al Horford, Furkan, Korkmaz and Matisse Thibel for me because of what Thibel can offer defensively. Uh, and then, and then after that, I think the rotation you can, you can get really tricky and experimental with. So for me, I think it's a little bit different. I think it's I think the bench varies by matchup. So let's say they're playing Boston first round. Um, Boston doesn't really have a lot of size at all, and they're really going to look to hurt you with with their wing play. They have you know they're they're probably I think they're going to start Hayward, Tatum, Brown. Um, Kemba. Obviously Kemba, yeah. Um, yeah, and then Tice. So Embiid can handle Tice, right? That, 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 isn't, that shouldn't be a problem. Right. Now, with the switchability and the versatility that all of Boston's other four players have, all can shoot, all can attack off the dribble, um, all are fairly athletic. Gordon, Gordon Hayward might be zapped a little bit of his athleticism, but for the most part, they're all athletic. Um, I, I like the idea, and this is sort of to what you what to, to what your point was, um, of you know starting Tobias at the four, letting him get back to his more natural position. Uh, ben, Shake, Josh, and I, I don't want to name a point guard for that group because I want to empower positionless basketball with, with, with that starting five. I don't want to define and limit what Ben Simmons can be. Um, whether he's the four or the three or the one, whatever, um, you, you the way that you win this 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 series against the Celtics is you play Ben Simmons in a way that's very conducive to him succeeding, and the rest will follow suit. Um, now, whether that's sort of minimizing the amount of time he plays with Embiid, so that way, because Embiid, I think in this series you need to staple him to the block and let him go to work. There's no reason for him to be on the perimeter Absolutely. when a guy like Daniel Tice or a guy like um, 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 uh, Ennis Canner is in the paint. There, there's no reason. You should be able to eat all night long. Um, so that leaves that that means that Ben Simmons has to find where he fits. Is that as a, 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 a pick and roll screener? Is that as um, you know, this this uh, this dunker spot kind of player? Is he a facilitator from the post? I mean, from the high post. I mean, who, who knows? Um, but if he isn't going to shoot, you, you need to find a way to use him off ball because Joel needs to have the ball in the post. Mm-hmm. And so maybe Ben can be more aggressive than, than he usually is, and he can really figure out how to attack from the perimeter and actually get to the rim without having to be stopped on a diamond and turn and pass away. But I want to empower 
you know, a lineup of Ben, Shake, Josh to coexist and not be defined by positions. Let them switch. Let them let them let, let them create. Let them do their thing and just read and react. Um, and then your depth would be Al, Glenn Robinson, Furkan, Alec Burse, Burks, Alec Burks, <laughs> and Matisse. Um, and I think a, a key cog to winning a series against Boston is a guy like Matisse Thibel maturing, and you know, and, and 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 him really being able to get in those passing lanes and disrupt. Because if you can create transition offense, knowing that they're going to be staggered with one of Joe and Ben, right? I like your option. I, I like your chances in a three on two, two on one, whatever. Um, regardless of, of, who, of who else is on the court, as long as you have one of Ben and Joe out there. So I think having Matisse playing a, a, a playing a, a key role off the bench is something that needs to happen. Um, and you know, if, if if he can't stay in the game because he's, he's he's in foul trouble, then maybe you go to a different direction. But I think being able to have this transition offense when your best players are not on the court together is paramount to the Sixers being able to handle a team like the Celtics. Now, while that's all, that's all nice. It's a nice monologue. Um, Miami would, um, would present a different challenge because they have a dominant big. Um, they have, well, not a dominant big, but they have a very capable athletic big in Bam Adebayo, someone who can, who can perturb um, Joel Embiid. Um, now, I would probably go with Joe and Al in the starting five together if they were to play Miami. And I know that, that three of the four games that they lost, you know, they, they lost to Miami, what, you know, the, the offense was, was was clunky, whatever, didn't really work. Um, and so I, I I would I would say that I like the way that they match up better with Miami if you start Joe and Al, and then you would go back to that Tobias, Josh, and Ben lineup. Um, but I'd also be more willing to to explore that. That 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 thirty eight minutes idea that, that that Brett Brown threw out there during the, uh, the the Zoom call, I'd be more curious to see how that works because I think you have to keep a big on the floor with against Miami all the time. They're so athletic that they, they, they can get to the rim against anybody. So it doesn't even matter if they have if they if they don't have the size and out of bio there, they still have athletic wings who can get to the rim, and you have to have a protector there to shut them off. Yeah, no, I, I really like what you said about Matisse Thibel because although it's a small sample size against Boston, he's pretty much held his own on the defensive end. And notably against Kemba Walker, he allowed Kemba to make only four shots of 12 attempts and, and only two from beyond the arc of eight attempts there. Um, he had more turnovers than assists. And for a point guard, that's really good defense from Matisse Thibel. Now, if you can have Matisse on the floor as six five defending opposing guards and Ben Simmons may be matching up with a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo or Kawhi Leonard if that's the matchup. And Joel Embiid also giving his defensive attention to a player deserving of it. I think Matisse, Matisse would almost be an X factor in which if his defense is good enough and he's not committing harmful fouls, but offensively he's contributing even just enough, I think he could be an X factor because he can really try to eviscerate some opposing teams' guards, which may be tough tough to match up against for Philadelphia. Um, a, a team like Boston, I think while Philadelphia's defensive philosophy with screens may be counterintuitive, uh, I think because Boston lacks so much size and because they're going to try to run that PNR so often, Philadelphia does have a, a lot of capable defenders coming either over or under screens, in which even if they are playing on the hip of or behind the, the attacking player with the basketball, they can still get a couple of blocks or they could catch up defensively. Uh, I think they have enough range to do so there on the defensive end. And I don't think Boston has the size or the town enough to guard Philadelphia in a playoff series with, with a healthy and motivated bunch. Uh, a lot, most of all of their usage has, has come from Jason Tatum this season. And then the surrounding four players are being tasked to either catch and shoot or create off ball when they get the ball. Um, so I think Boston will be a matchup where Philadelphia can defensively just dominate. 
Uh, Miami, Austin, you, you make good points. It's different because Miami features a, a center that's part of these hybrid builds that can defend really any position. Uh, they're, they're essentially multi-positional lockdown defenders and offensively they're forces that, that are to be reckoned with. So a player like Bam defensively can be matched up on Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid and, and Bam is very durable. So he can play the duration of almost an entire basketball game and defend core players for the entire duration. Um, so, so Bam definitely is a problem. Miami practices really good ball security and they could shoot. So if Miami's not turning the ball over and they're shooting well, Philadelphia can't get in transition. Uh, that's a tough game for Philadelphia to win. But if Miami's shooting, there's long rebounds. Uh, Philadelphia can kickstart transition and, and really get ahead in that series. So uh, I think it's going to come down to defensively where players are against Miami. But regardless of where they are against Boston, I think Philadelphia will win that series. Yeah, I think the, the big advantage that Miami would have, I, I don't, I really don't think Miami would have a ton of advantages. I mean, two of the three games that they beat the Sixers, um, you know, the, the, it was down to the wire. I mean, it was one or two shots difference changes that series. Um, and, you know, the Miami is, 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 you know, we have a much different outlook against them. And I think the Sixers are a lot scarier in a seven-game series to have to play them, you know, seven times at most and beat them at least, you know, beat, beat them four times um, in, in seven where it's film – practice, you know, day off game over and over again, you're going to have a hard time wearing the Sixers down. It's not like we, when you play them once every other month and, you know, you haven't seen each other in a while, it's a lot of traveling. No, you're neutral court. You're playing them four games at least, four to seven games. You have to win four of seven against them to, to win the series. That's going to be hard for anybody, but I think it, it, it's it's – it's going to be hard for Miami, but I think the one advantage they do have is the depth advantage. That they have an unbelievable bench: Tyler Hero, um, um, Chris Silva. Um, who else Kelly, do they have? Kelly Olynyk. They've got Kel- shooters. He's, he's, Kelly Olynyk is a joke. Um, <laughs> I never liked Kelly Olynyk ever. I, I I always was like, what's the what's what's so special about this guy? Like I was never big on him. Yeah, um, but um, you, you got to guard him at the perimeter, unfortunately, because the dude fair. Is out there for some reason. It's fair. Um, they also have uh, Derek Jones Jr. So they they, they 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 got a bunch of wings that that can really yeah. pose problems. Yeah, and Jay Crowder now too, um, and you know again. They have a lot of depth, and the Sixers don't. Um, so it's about finding the right mix of depth where you're minimizing the potential negative impact that, that, that the depth can have, and sort of just keeping afloat while you're reinf- while your you know your your main pieces are resting. And I then the, to to interrupt, I, I think another factor that matters is the momentum factor. And I know we talked uh, briefly about our thoughts on momentum, but. After the All-Star break, Miami was one of the best shooting teams in the league from beyond the arc. And I think that's a product of, of having trust in one another, a good chemistry starting to click. And I think that comes with momentum. Uh, so what you could see is is a regression there too, just like we talked about maybe a Shake Milton three-point shooting regression. Well, if it's if it's safe to assume that a regression will happen to an individual player, I think it could most definitely happen to a team as well. Uh, having to pick up after being apart for so long. Uh, so that's another thing that could benefit Philadelphia, whereas Philadelphia doesn't have high expectations as a three-point shooting team. Uh, Miami does. So that's something that can roll in favor of the Sixers. For sure. Now, I do want to get to our last segment of, of, the, of tonight's episode. Um, with the, 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 the new rules in place, there is an opportunity for the Sixers to add some pieces uh, to their roster. And I'm really curious as to who you have in mind. For, for the last time, last I read, and, it, the, and and this could be wrong by now, but the last that I read, the 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 the, the rules were that you could add pieces to, to to your roster if they had already been on a team or under contract, whether it be NBA or two way or G League. 
this season. So any player that was previously in the NBA or signed at some point at some level this season can play. I have a couple players in mind myself that I think that I would like to explore. Um, Brock, let, let's go first. Who, who, who would you who would you like to add? Uh, you know, it's tough for me because of the current available free agents or two-way players. I think it's it's really an empty pool of, of players to choose from. Trey Burke is a name that's been floated around. And um, while he was top five in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, offensive rating, net rating, and assist percentage on Philadelphia in the month of February – that is a product of very limited minutes. And I think uh, for a player like Howell Neto, unfortunately, while I don't think he's the best, uh, I think it would probably be smart to, to put your trust in him as the backup point guard and not maybe alter any chemistry in the locker room if there is some uh, by the time the NBA resumes and trying to have a completely different point guard facilitate. Uh, but other than Trey Burke, if, if the depth was needed, I think Mariel Shayok could maybe provide a spark for Philadelphia uh, defensively. I'm not sure he's ready to defend in the NBA, but offensively, he is a shooter. He could space the floor. He can create a shot. He's got a nice crossover, so he has an arsenal of moves he, he could use. Uh, and of, of remaining names, um, people such as Tim Frazier uh, could potentially benefit Philadelphia as, as a, a secondary playmaker or a, a, a ball-handling facilitator off the bench. But I'm not sure there's many players that could step in in eight games and get comfortable with the team that can make an immediate impact in the playoffs. Okay. Um, it's fair. I have a couple names in mind. And I, and, and I do think that making the point, like, is it really, is it really worth disrupting chemistry or trying to make something rushed and fit, um, you know, with, with eight games left before the playoffs? I, it's a good point. But why not try with, you know, the extra roster space? Like, wh- why not go for it? Right. Okay. Um, I, I – would like to see maybe Alan Crabb. Uh, he's been floating around the league for a while. Um, you know, once a very good shooter, um, lost his touch a little bit. Although I wonder if maybe a dominant big and a great passer, maybe he can relocate that touch. Um, Isaiah Thomas would be a, another interesting oh, choice. That's an interesting I think um, just because I think Raul Neto is so so below the 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 line of like neutrality that anything is an upgrade and i think a guy like isaiah thomas who can really shoot the ball um can really get under you as an offensive player and sort of you know get around guys although his, his his hip injury really did derail his career he was a star before that um but now he you know not so much obviously but I think as a shooter, he was one. He, I think he, pretty sure he was one of the best shooting individual players in the NBA this season. I forget the exact percentage. But I know I saw him on a list somewhere. Um, and I think this team just needs shooting, however they can get it. And if that comes in the form of, a, of an experienced backup point guard who has you know a, a bit of a bag to him, maybe maybe Isaiah Thomas could be that answer. Another guy I think could be interesting is Tyler Johnson. Um, Another lefty shot creator um, has been passed around from Miami to, to to Phoenix after he was given that insane deal with Miami. Um, but you know he, he he's he's a dog. He he he's scrappy and he can shoot the rock. And I think those would be interesting names to explore at the very least for the Sixers. I mean, I'm not I'm not asking for significant significant impact. I'm asking for little chunks and pieces of, of nice plays from here and there that will seal up the cracks when when the ball isn't in Ben Simmons or Josh Richardson's hands. Okay, and, and I think another thing to consider too is is whose minutes they'd be eating into. And I think if you get a player that can be productive enough in a limited amount of minutes, it would definitely be worth just trying. Uh, the worst that could happen is there's no benefit and you just let go of the player, but I think some of them, some of those names, could could offensively provide uh, decent sparks off the bench for Philadelphia. And I think right now they do have some decent depth, but you do also have to remember that this is this is going to seem like an open run in in, in a court. This is going to be like an open run. Okay, um, I, I feel like there will be games with a lot of defense, but a part of me feels like some of these games will be just completely offensively oriented and in the case 
of, of that happening, it'd be great to have a player that can provide offensive contributions like that. Tyler Johnson's a name who, although this season he struggled from beyond the arc, has been able to do so for teams um, uh, shoot shoot a percentage above average. So uh, I, I like those names. Well, I think you also have to take it into context that like Tyler Johnson played on a team that really you know, they, they sorely missed having um, DeAndre Ayton for, for a good portion of the season. Um, there's not a lot of spacing on that team because it's really just Cam Johnson, uh, Mikael Bridges, and Devin Booker. Um, and there's not, and you know, with, with, with that, there's, there's not a ton of open looks. With a team like Ben Simmons, you, you have a, a, a great passer who can really, you know, disintegrate defenses in the interior and get you open looks. A guy like Embiid, who, who is seasoned enough that he can kind of read a double now and, uh, and, and find, and find, you know, the open man off the help. And so I, I think Isaiah Thomas or Tyler Johnson would be a really, really interesting piece to add to this team. I, I, I just don't know what giving Raul or Raul Nato minutes does for you at this point. I hated that. I hated that throughout the season. Uh, he was so <laughs> turnover prone and I just, he I, made horrible I, plays. I, he didn't, he didn't do anything. He was just kind of like a filler. It was so bad, um, but Brock, I, I do I, I I do want to say this real quick. Sure. I think the Houston Rockets, as crazy as this sound, are a dark horse candidate here to compete for the NBA Finals. As crazy as it sounds, with no center having played small ball five wide or five out for the latter half of their season, I think Houston has an unnecessarily high chance of winning the NBA Finals. I don't know why. It's it's my intuition telling me. Uh, but I think James Harden's skinny and, and in the playoffs with something to prove is going to be tough to guard. And then you got to worry about Russell Westbrook, uh, who appears to be in the best shape of his life, it seems. And with an improved game, he's also one of the best point guards in the league. And of all time, for that matter, without a center on the floor, his numbers are mind-boggling without a center uh so so having to defend those two and, and surrounding them with shooters that could be tough and and there's limited time to prepare for small ball um in a situation like this there's limited time but uh then again that that offensive philosophy is is flawed and when you also don't play much defense it's it's tough to beat teams like milwaukee or, or either team in la but i'm just saying they're they're a dark horse candidate in my opinion you see now, people say like, "Oh, Jokic is in shape, Harden's in shape, Russ is in shape." They post pictures on Instagram or videos on Instagram, or they have some photographer take a picture of them from a great angle. No one is in NBA shape, right? There, there, there's no way you have to play NBA games to be in NBA shape. It's the hardest. It's it's one of the hardest sports to prepare for yourself for physically because nothing beats the pace. And the, the, the actual physical conditioning of an NBA game. And the only way you get in better shape is by playing them. Um, so I, I don't think anyone has a real advantage, um, you know, in terms of physical, um, you know, health right now. I, I, I think, really, I think that this, 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 this field is going to be very, very, very even. And I think it's going to be one of the rare times when, you can actually say that there is no asterisk on this championship. This cha- the, the, the winner of this championship will not have had home court advantage. Will have been in the had the, the exact same time time to prepare as everybody else. Played on the exact same court. Had no fans in the arena cheering them on. They outplayed, outcoached, and simply outmatched you. And I think that. This context, this environment that they're going to be in, it's going to be on the players and the coaches to actually, you know, show out and perform. If 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 you if you if a team that's supposed that should be doing better loses a series, it's that okay. Clearly, you know, you that you, you didn't utilize this tool to the best of your ability. Clearly, you were out coached. There is no, there, there's 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 no you know. Um, mental advantages or no things to hide behind it's this is the product you get this is a vacuum figure it out 
That I think I agree with. I think it's going to be mano y mano. It's going to be the best the best players, the, the best team will prevail. Uh, and that's just going to be something based on talent on the floor. Uh, because like you said, there's a lot of advantages for teams that are being stripped away right now. Uh, so I agree with your point. It's a very even playing field. For sure. Um, Brock, what are, you, what are you working on right now besides this? Uh, so I've been making YouTube videos. Um, I'm playing around with the duration of time of the video, but I'm trying to inform people. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a stance with some players that not many will know about. So I have a video up about Ben Simmons' defensive versatility and the importance of Simmons to his team. It's a great video. Uh, just, uh, just thank you. I posted a Lonzo Ball video a few days ago. Uh, the Lonzo Ball video is interesting. It shows about uh, his impact offensively and defensively with the Pelicans. Uh, and the, the forthcoming pieces I have, I'm going to preview a Boston-Philadelphia first-round matchup. I'm going to do a piece on Kobe White and a piece on Bam Adebayo, uh, just in case the Sixers have to run into Miami. Uh, so I, I've got a lot of stuff I'm working on. Damn, look at you. You're you're, you're, you're churning content over there. Look yeah, at that. Try my best. Love, love, love to see that. Well, he is Brock Landis. I am Austin Krell. As always, thank you for listening to Feed to Embiid. We'll be back another episode next week. Hopefully there will be new news to, 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 to look at and discuss. We'll be one step closer to the opening of – or I guess the, 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 the resumption of the NBA season. Uh, Brock, any final words? Everybody, uh, uh, stay safe, take care, and, and keep listening to the feed. Keep smashing the like button on our content. Keep retweeting all, all, all of the good stuff. Yes, uh, he's Brock Landis, Landis Brock on Twitter. I am Austin Krell, Krell TPL on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great night. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws, production, and distribution. Without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright to feed to Embiid 2020. Uh, again, as always, thank you for listening to the feed to Embiid and have a great night.